I'm super excited to have you here today. For everyone in the audience, I will have already introduced you, but Mike is a product lead at New. And for the audience listening, I'm not even just saying this because he's the guest, but from my perspective of the tech landscape, there are two apps that I really, really admire. Noob is one of them. And I think what you guys have done with your product, I pulled for myself so much inspiration. I'm really passionate about health and wellness. I've used the product myself to track my habits, and I was like blown away by the level of uh, engagement and psychology. And I think even, even more so, this idea of a few minutes a day, like genuinely transforming my life over time. I really feel that with new. So I'm really excited to talk to you today. And for you to share with us and with the audience about your, your experience with product led growth, uh, your time at new helping build and develop a platform. But yeah, before we dive into that, you're welcome to the show. Sounds great. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me, Delany. And really, really happy to, to be here. I'll try to share my experience and answer any questions, hopefully helping our audience today. And also get some insights from you as well, since you mentioned you have been using them. So partially, I'll be trying to do some user interviews, maybe. Here you go. It's probably going to get your product. Perfect. So for the audience who's never met you, never heard you speak before, why don't you give us just a super high level background on yourself? Like, you know, how did you get to where you're at in your career today? And, and when did you stumble across product-led growth and realize that was something you wanted to dive into part of your career? Sounds great. Sounds great. So I'll, I'll maybe start from early days. Originally, I'm from Armenia. I live currently in New Jersey for the past almost 10 years. I've been here with my family, my wife and my two daughters. But before then, I was born and grown up in Armenia, in Yerevan. And most of my career, I have been in tech, specifically in health tech, consulting, working actually as well, startup which got acquired by a larger company headquartered here in New York City. And that's, that's the, like one of the primary reasons as part of that deal, I've decided to move to the States with my family. And since then I've been working mostly with like larger healthcare organizations as part of my consulting job, payers, providers, data analytics companies. And during all those years, definitely lots of like experience and exposure into big decisions being made more of a kind of strategic level. But at the same time, I was like growing this passion of having an impact on the consumer side of the things and seeing actually people, individuals getting value from the work I'm doing. And yeah, I guess that, that passion drove me and brought me to Gnome at some point, but before I went joining Gnome, like I started my own venture. Again, in health tech, a startup, which was more of a like B2B2C kind of both trying to impact consumers, but at the same time, doctors as well. I will have time to dig deeper there. So, so far, I won't go into the details. Yeah. And since 2019, I've been with Noom. So currently I'm with Noom as well. First couple of years, my focus was mostly on user activation and retention, trying to to help our users better understand the value prop that Gnome is offering, activate them and kind of make it a habitual part of their daily routine to, to use the product and achieve their goals. And then later on, starting from early to 2022, I would say mostly driven by like current macroeconomic situation, 
as a company, we realized that we need to kind of decrease our dependency on paid acquisition channels and invest more into organic growth channels. And since then, I've been actively involved and leading a couple of work streams in that area. And up until now, like two work streams, one focused on expanding GNOME into like families of our users. We call it GNOME for family. And then the other one is more utilizing sharing and social aspects of the product to drive organic growth as well as brand awareness. Yeah. So to answer partially your question, how I got into product-led growth, I, I think it was mostly like driven by the external environment changes, macroeconomic changes. But I realized this is like a, an exciting world where you play both on the core product side, but at the same time on the growth side as well. So yeah, that's, I hope like this gives enough details to continue from here. It's perfect. And I'll always ask follow-up questions either way. When I first stumbled into product-led growth, I had an aha moment where I started to realize the things I really loved about technology and especially seeing how some companies were growing really fast. I was like, oh, that's what, that's what they're actually doing behind the scenes. So for someone who's listening, who's maybe never heard of the actual concept product-led growth, how would you describe it? using your own language. Yeah. First of all, before even describing, I would say if you're looking for like a perfect description of that, some of the folks I have been closely following, like Lenny's newsletter is an amazing source, is spending lots of like time and content covering product let's growth. And Derna, I think, is another like person to follow. I've been following her closely. Very, very insightful kind of and the experienced individual. From my perspective, simply said, I would say using your product as a primary channel to convert your potential leads into, into users. So I'm not sure if that's the best description, but it's, it's pretty much instead of, instead of trying to use the traditional marketing language or value prop or, or more like old school kind of sales approach to trying to tell the story or demo and convince your potential audience to convert to users. You just give them the product. The actual product does the job of all of that. So they'll be using it. They'll be real, realizing the value. And at the same time, it's up to you to define what's the right moment, what are the triggers, what, what's the user behavior that indicates, okay, this is, this is the time actually to kind of try to convert them, try to increase the commitment and offer something extra to those users. Obviously, from a product or business perspective, that's the time kind of to realize when, what type of value you want to capture. So product, in general, product management, I, I kind of view at the as, as like the science three pillars, which is creating value, distributing value, and then capturing value. So in this case, the third component, when it comes the time to try to capture value from your users, and there are two ways, basically the most obvious one is like monetization. So users are paying and that's how you are capturing value. And then the second time, a type of kind of value capture would be your users somehow contributing to the actual product growth. So that might be by creating content or that might be by bringing other users to the platform. That's, that's, that's how basically you capture value. 
So yeah, I would say product-led growth is pretty much using your product to do all of that instead of using traditional marketing or sales approaches. But that, that being said, that doesn't mean like product-led growth is like a sole animal without living, without living with like marketing and sales. Usually almost any successful organization is kind of utilizing all of these three components or at least two of them together. Yeah. And that makes sense, right? It's like you could have the greatest triggers inside your product to drive growth and drive shareability. But if you have 50 users on your products, yeah, it's, it's going to take a lot of time for that to really see a snowball effect. So it's, it makes sense that you're having outbound outreach as well, but doing what you can to make it viral in nature. Exactly. Very cool. Awesome. Well, now that we've got the foundation set for product-led growth, I would love for you to walk us through and I'm saying, I, do, I do really want us to get to your SaaS product that you even started yourself and understand some of the entrepreneurial experiences that you have. But before we dive into that, staying on top of working in, a, in an organization like Noom, when you think about your, the growth trajectory, the product and the types of projects and initiatives you've spun up, what have been some of the most impactful things that you, you launched within Noom and what growth have you seen on the other side of that? Mm -hmm. I can, I can try and bring examples from like past days, mostly focused on the user kind of retention activation side, or I can also, and I can also bring an example from my recent kind of area of responsibility, which is growing organically. I'll leave it up to you, which, which, which area you want to focus on. I think, you know, if you're, if you're willing, I'd like to do one of each. Okay. Sounds great. So yeah, from a, from a retention perspective. This, I would say maybe the most impactful initiative was early days when, when I joined Gnome and we were facing quite kind of interesting problem where even though like externally, we have been getting lots of feedback that Gnome is maybe one of the simplest experience apps where it's, it's just like one list, which is this, your focus for today, nothing else, just focus on this stuff. Even though, even given all of that feedback, we have been hearing from lots of our users that, especially early in the program, they feel kind of overwhelmed with number of different things that they're supposed to be doing. And that was like a big reason of not activating some of our users or even losing early some of those who get activated, but like not retaining them on the long run. And this was quite an interesting problem to focus on. And in the past, before, before I joined, the team has tried many different approaches there. At Noom, we are like very experimental. And before even trying any big changes approaches, we would try like many, many small experiments, which would tease and give us insights before even kind of investing much effort there. So all of that work was already done, but we haven't seen any kind of strong signals nor we have kind of been able to move the needle. And yeah, like I thought the best would be kind of to go through a design sprint and I gathered pretty much everyone in the company who has been working in the past years on the product and had most of the context around that. And together we tried like to come up with core kind of reasons why or what of the product 
experience is causing this much of an overwhelm. Long story short, basically, I, I won't go into the details, but after a couple months of work, if I describe what we did there was pretty much, we have changed our curriculum, NUM curriculum, and, and for our listeners who aren't familiar with NUM, NUM has like a, an entire kind of course component, which is think of it as like a psychology of behavior change. And that course is a core, core part of or core component of the program over time, educating our users and kind of keeping their motivation up in terms of uh, what are the reasons that certain things work or certain things doesn't, how to kind of approach them, how to change their behavior and so on. So it's, it's an integral part of the program, I would say. So long story short, what we did was like previously think of our curriculum delivery mechanism as like traditional TV, and we turned it into Netflix, if I can say that. So in other words, in the old world, our users would kind of consume part of the curriculum. And then if, if they kind of had, had a, if they slept over a couple of days, they'd come back to the app and then their entire experience is like different because the course, the content that they were supposed to get would be already in the past, sort of, they missed it. So yeah. what we did. We pretty much changed the approach where they would always pick up from where they left off. And then in a way that the product will recognize their kind of comeback to the product and then will gently take them back to the experience in a way that they don't feel sort of that they have missed and they have failed. So this kind of ecological component of meeting users where they are and also gently kind of nudging that back to the tracks was the entire kind of idea behind that. And that was one of the biggest like successes in terms of saving lots of users in the early days and activating even more users. Yeah. I would say that's, that's maybe the biggest example. I love that. Very cool. So definitely have several cloud questions to that one being even super high level question, how, what do you guys, how do you guys quantify activating somebody? Is it having them be active for several days on the platform? Is it creating an account? Is it reaching a certain milestone? Or I, I, yeah, I, there's even multiple answers to that. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And that's a tough question because like almost every, I will say quarter, but every year, every half of the year, we would, as a team, we would come back and kind of revisit our approach towards how we decide when someone is activated. I mean, in kind of, in the Bible of product management, activation is pretty much when your user establishes the habit of doing whatever core action they are supposed to be doing, right? So the core action is something that delivers directly the core value proposition that your product is offering to, you, to your users. And whenever your users establish a, a habit, and by establishing a habit means pretty much whatever is the frequency that you are facing that problem. And then if you come back to the product to solve that problem, on a habitual basis, that's pretty much like the moment when what we call habit is established. And that's where, when you will consider your users being activated. So now let's say from, let's take an example, right? For, for products, which are more transactional, let's say Uber or Lyft, 
basically you order the car, the car is here. So the core action that you are supposed to be doing in this case is ordering. The car is here, you go to the destination, that's done, transaction is complete. So it's quite simple because the expected outcome happens almost immediately. In case of Noom uh, or many other products where like the core promise, the reason that you have started, let's say in our case, most of the users start doing the program because they want to lose weight for the long run, which is not going to happen right away. So in other words, the core value prop in this case, which is helping our users to kind of through behavior change to get to their desired weight goal and maintain that goal going forward and become healthier. It's, it's not something that you can like realize right away. So long story short, from our perspective, there are multiple kind of core actions, which are based on all our historical data that we have analyzed. We have seen strong correlation between like consistently doing those actions and achieving your weight loss goal. Uh, to bring example, like logging your meals is one of those actions or completing your lessons, daily lessons is one of those actions. And there is, there is, there is a reason why, like many people may think like logging meals is boring. Obviously it's boring. And the idea here is it's not like we, we don't want like people to our users to kind of log their meals for the rest of their life. That's not the idea. So. While you're logging your meals, there are, let's say, two primary benefits. First, you stay accountable and informed in terms of like what, what's going into your body, right? That's, that's sort of an education. And then the second benefit is also more of a psychological benefit is when you know you will be logging your meals, you try to eat healthy. You try to kind of not overeat and the simple, and, and the, the reason there is that because you don't want to see your log failing you. You don't want to see like, not failing isn't the best word in this case, but you don't want to see like your meal log being something that you don't want it to be. So in other words, just that action forces, reinforces you kind of to change your habits towards. Anyways, to answer your question again, there are multiple actions and the combination of those actions is considered in terms of how we decide if someone is an active user or not. So obviously it's not just the fact that someone is just opening the app. That's, that's, we don't consider those users as being active, but when they come back to the app and perform one of those meaningful actions, that will account for being an active user. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think as we talk about this. It brings, it reminds me of what I really like about the app, especially from a psychological perspective is weight transfers are logging your food every day is hard, but it was like, I couldn't go more than a few taps without being encouraged in some way or fashion, just constantly, whether it's data on like the likely, if I actually log my food, what percentage of other users end up losing five pounds by doing it on a daily basis. So I, I really do think you guys are very creative with that process. And it feels like you have a best friend, like supporting you along the way as you yeah. do those little things. So again, it's all a question to that because I, I would love for people, anyone listening, who's part of a product organization or runs their own software product. You, you talk about this process you went through where you identified feedback and user sentiment. You brought a ton of people together to analyze the issue and, and 
design and ideate and then you have a solution. Are there any, whether consciously or unconsciously, are there any systems or frameworks that you kind of built within the new culture that you guys have within the culture that allow you to do that on not necessarily an autopilot, but as a part of the culture of how you build products? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. I'll bring maybe the two most important kind of principles, which we aren't just using in, in, in our product day-to-day -day work, but those are principles that as a, as a company, as a team, as a, as a family, we, we try to keep ourselves accountable as well. One is like always going after the root cause. First principles thinking, digging into the why before even understanding what's happening or who is being impacted. Uh, the first thing is like why certain things are happening and getting as deeper as possible to identify the root cause of a problem. And then the second, second aspect of it would be, which is, I believe is maybe one of the toughest ones is like really feeling your user's needs. We call it like user empathy. Everyone is the well-known term for it is building user empathy, but my, my perception of it is pretty much like being able to take a different perspective on the problem, not just from your perspective. I remember like this great quote from Ray Dalio's book principles, where he says, like, we tend to, we, by we, he means like people tend to kind of be almost focused on certain things, but we have blind spots and, and most of the time we aren't aware of what's happening in our blind spots. And that's fine. That's, that's normal. Like you, you cannot fight against that. It's just the idea that you need to realize that you have blind spots and try to kind of account for that when it comes to any decision-making, especially important decision-making. So I believe in a, in a product world, that blind spot is what we are calling like, or accounting for the blind spot, the existence of blind spot is pretty much the perspective that you have towards a problem, considering that your users and not just all users, like subgroup of some of the users may have the exact same perspective that you have over that problem. And you may ideally kind of address the problem for them, but there are many other subgroups who have completely different pr perspective over the same problem. So you need to be able to kind of collect all of those perspectives and see and properly prioritize, ruthlessly prioritize and see like which ones you need to tackle first. Um, so I would say those are the core principles that we have been following. And this design sprint, pretty much well-known framework, we have been using it as kind of more of a, to stay on the track and keep ourselves accountable in terms of timing. Got it. Makes sense. Very cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking us through some of those examples at noon. I would love to pivot over to some of your entrepreneurial type experience. I think your experience there probably really resonates with a lot of our listeners as well. First off, I would just love to hear what, tell us about your SaaS product that you wrote. Sounds good. Yeah. So I started working on NTO, which is the company we have built with my tech co-founder and we started working on it like. I think 2019 before, before slightly before joining Dome, that was like my first attempt to fill up the gap of having an impact on consumers. As I said, at that time I was working like 
for a consulting company and most of my day-to-day -day work is like dealing with large size organizations, executive teams and so on. So like one, there was this like desperate need of like doing something about the consumers. And second, there was like a real situation. The problem, like it, it didn't just kind of fall on my head like an apple. It was something that I have faced initially. So my daughter was like undergoing treatment, visual, visual, visual kind of therapy, which is, think of it as pretty much like physical therapy, but for your eyes. So it's, it's a kind of painful process. And when I say painful, it's more, more annoying than actually painful, which is the patients are performing lots of different types of exercises to develop the muscles, which are like responsible for pretty much their managing their eyes and their vision and through that improving some of the problems. So it's not an optical issue, but it's more of a like muscle related issue. Anyway, so through that process, I realized that, and, and most of the treatment program is happening like on the home. So like, let's say every other week or so you will visit your doctor, they'll do some exercises with you at the office, but then they'll give you, they'll, they'll give you like a bunch of printouts with the details of exercises that you need to do at home. And then that's, that's the critical part of the treatment program. And then come back in a couple of weeks and share your feedback, like how things have gone and get another bunch of like printouts. And that was quite painful in terms of like, it was really hard to follow those instructions. There was no one to ask questions and there was, though those instructions weren't even enough to realize if you are doing certain things correctly or not. Anyway, so I, I saw an opportunity and I thought, okay, what if this is just like our doctor, maybe, maybe some other doctors like doing this in a proper way. So did some research and realized it's, it's a very common problem. That's, that's how things are being handled. Yeah. It started pretty much from there. So long story short, we built a launched a product which helps vision therapy doctors to, first of all, it provides them with like an exercise library, a video recorded library of different types of exercises. So instead of handing some printouts, there are videos that you can, as a patient, watch and follow the instructions and get the voiceover and see exactly how the procedure is being performed, the exercise is being performed. So we created that library, we created a product which allows doctors to in a matter of seconds, basically create like treatment templates, programs based on those exercises and prescribe to their patients. And then the patients will have like a mobile app through which they'll follow their program at home and then mark things completed. They can share their feedback. They can ask questions through like a secure chat and so on. So that was pretty much like in, in towards what the product was. So from a venue perspective, it helps doctors to save tons of time as well as increase their patient's retention. And it helps also patients to get better results in their treatment process. Yeah. So that's, that's it. And we pretty much our launch kind of occurred during the COVID time, which was from one end, it was maybe, I don't want to say the best time, but somehow it helped us to gain lots of customers organically. And then it slowed down since after, after the COVID was gone, but that was, that was quite great ex experience. The, the product is still there. It's, it's running as a, like almost like a small business on site. I'm not actively doing much on it. 
obviously I have presented it from all the positive perspective and angle. There are like, whatever I described, there are 3x times like more mistakes that yeah. I have right. made, that we have made there, lots of learnings. I don't call them mistakes. Those are learnings, which helps me a lot. Yeah. So. Very cool. Uh, so when you talk um, about the initial growth, like to have a lot of organic growth, what, what were your channels to drive adoption of the product? How'd you go about that? And even maybe setting some context, uh, it sounds like, and I'm pretty sure remember from your bio, it, it was a bootstrap effort. So you weren't necessarily going out and getting a lot of funding. It was probably pretty tactical and guerrilla style, but I'd love to hear with your limited resources, how did you acquire those first users? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and what levers did you pull on to see that scale, even though it was organic? Uh, yeah. So originally the goal wasn't to create like a venture funded business. My inspiration was more to create a product which can deliver value, which can help people. And the market that we have selected, it's, it's quite small. It's a very niche and small market. So, I mean, maybe you can create like a small profitable business there, but it's, it's, it's not something that you can uh, grow as a venture founded business. And that was in our minds from the early days. So we exactly knew what we are doing and who we are doing it for. Um, so early days, like our initial growth was primarily happening through like word of mouth. So we, we have been trying to find pretty much like groups and forums where all those doctors discuss their issues, exchange ideas and learnings. There were some small conferences happening, some Facebook groups. So we would try to kind of get access there and make an introduction pretty much about our product. And yeah, that's, that's how we were kind of growing. And then through word of mouth, we'll get more and more people. We, we never tried any paid like acquisition strategies because A, we realized the market segment is quite small and it's not going to be an effective approach. And B, like we didn't have also the funds to kind of allow ourselves to spend that much capital just on the acquisition. So yeah, I mean. Initially for the first four or five months, it was quite tough. Like we were doing almost like eight, 10 demos on a daily basis. And roughly like 60% of those demos were converting to paid customers for us. So it was quite exciting and interesting during those days. But then that's pretty much it. We, we kind of exhausted that channel because every channel has, as a point, has a threshold after which like you exhaust the channel, there isn't that much kind of to do there. Yeah. And, and we tried some other tactics in terms of like email marketing and things like that, but they didn't prove to be effective. Again, as I said, the market is quite small. So you got this, you got your business started, you have six figure revenue on the business, which is awesome. Just from a passion project, you've got new, which is a you know, large scale technology company doing those in tandem. Are there any skills like what, what skills have you learned from entrepreneurship that you might've been able to apply in your experience at new or vice versa? That's an interesting question. I honestly never thought about that, but let me, let me reflect. So I would say some of those skills are quite handy and helpful. For example, thinking out of box, not being afraid in terms of like always following the script when, when it comes to doing action, but being more outcome focused. 
So those are the things which like it, it opens up like your appetite almost of getting outcome and it makes you more, I would call fearless in terms of like how you strategize and approach because you have seen like tougher situations and you kind of have been wearing multiple hats. It helps you see the things from many other people's perspective. But there are also calls. There, there are things which kind of it distracts from, from your day-to-day -day work. And some of those things have been, let's say, you are used to kind of decisions being made quite fast, which may, from the first glance, it may sound, oh, this is cool. Of course, who doesn't want to make fast decisions and move fast? But when you deal with like millions of users, fast decisions have a cost as well. So any decision has an associated cost. And if the impact that you are creating through your decision is like not that big, the cost is also going to be like relatively small. If the impact is much bigger, in other words, like whatever change, let's say you are introducing to your product, it's not just moving a metric. It's, it's actually impacting how others are seeing and interacting with your product. And there are many like possible outcomes that this can, or turns that this can turn to take your product and, and, and your company and your culture and perception of your business. So you should be very careful when it comes to like making decisions there. So initially it was quite hard for me to get into like this new mindset where you need to be extra careful when it comes to making decisions and don't get me wrong, like by saying, by saying like, you need to be careful. I don't mean it's, it's, it's a, like a dangerous zone to enter. It's just, you need to open up your eyes. You need to kind of take even more perspectives yeah. of your users before, before deciding like what's the best course of action. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm definitely, I found myself in that situation as of the last year, working on my own software product and being part of a larger organization. And I, I very much agree with you and what you're sharing that it's it can feel exciting to get to wear all the hats and it almost can bring more creativity into your more structured work because you're used to playing in that space. And it almost feels like when you're working, this is just my perspective, but when you're working on your own little startup and you don't have a lot of capital and maybe your user base is small, then when you get to go work on your big project, you're like, oh my God, we have so many resources. This is awesome because we have this large audience and this really engaged user base. And now I get to also still play this like creative role as a product leader, but acknowledging that there's risk and you have to be more careful about the impact you're making. Absolutely. Very cool. Awesome. Well, we're just about out of time here. As we hop off, are there any resources? You, you mentioned Lenny's podcast and newsletter. You mentioned another, a few other resources. Are there any books or podcasts or shows that you have gotten a lot of value out of? You mentioned Ray Dalio's book. Is there anything else that you haven't mentioned that you'd recommend to the listeners who want to brush up on their product leadership or anything of that caliber? Sure. Before, before listing any books there, again, like taking the point that I was just talking about the perspective, like I can list many different books, but what I realized it's not just about, there are many great books, believe me. However, it depends on the context where you are, what problems day to day you are facing or you, what your motivations are. And all of that defines which of those books is going to be most of the impact, driving most of the impact for you. So like my first 
idea or recommendation here would be that I've been doing this mistake a lot in the past, which is like blindly following. If someone tells me this is a great book and I trust them, I would just get the book, start reading. And then I realize I'm like not capturing value because I haven't faced those problems yet. And I don't resonate with those problems. So I would say, first of all, try to define what exactly your situation is, what problems you are facing, and then kind of consume the knowledge, which is very relevant to that problem. So now back being kind of back to, to your point, some of, I'll just mention maybe some of the most recent ones that I got quite excited about. So today, actually, I finished Peter Elia, Peter Atias Outlive, which is an amazing book. So I would say if you are someone who is really interested in proactively improving your health and you're interested in like changing your healthy day-to-day behaviors, exercise a lot, or you, you think about that and you want to live like long quality life, this book might be like a great starting point. For many people, I'm sure this is like not a news and, and they may know what I'm talking about, but yeah, this is one of the great books. Yeah. You know, I just have to say really quick. It's so funny. I yesterday interviewed the founder of Inside Tracker. I don't know if you're familiar with that technology, but that was the first book he recommended. I talked to my mom on Monday. My mom is reading that book and like three of my friends are texting me about it and I have it in my bookshelf. So. I just had to put a big smile on my face because clearly this is like, this book is hitting people that are into wellness like a wave. So definitely, definitely excited to read out. Yeah. So that's, that's number one, I would say. And then it's great to hear like so many, so many people find value in that book. The other one I already mentioned, even though I read that one a while ago, read Delius Principles. But that one is especially, it's, it's like almost like a foundation in terms of understanding, first of all, yourself. I, I had many, many reflections on my own kind of habits and approach when it comes to decision-making. So that helped me to kind of become more open-minded. And so if you, if, if that's something, if you, if you think you are an open-minded individual, read the book. If you think you have problems in terms of being open-minded, especially with the book. So, yeah. yeah. And what else? And maybe another one, a simple book, which I found quite cool. Let's maybe show it to you. It's called Rocket Surgery Made Easy. I would say this is mostly for people who are in tech, product managers, or even designers or engineers, anyone. So it's pretty much kind of is teaching you how to do usability testing, how to take your user sets and take out your product to the wild and get feedback. So it's not about like philosophy of usability testing. I would say it's more of a, like, almost like a guide, which can help anyone to, to gain some skills and practical kind of approaches of running usability tests. So yeah. I found it quite helpful. There we go. I love that. And from that frame of what problem are you experiencing in your life, which resource should you go after? That is one that I feel resonant with. And, and I really do appreciate you teeing it up like that because I found myself in that situation of just going and buying the book immediately when I resonate with someone. But I think, I think actually both works, right? Like I probably have 30 books on my bookshelf I haven't opened yet, but 
the amount of times where I walked past the book I've seen 50 times, but that was the day I was like, okay, now that book actually resonates. I feel like I want to read it. So thank you very much for sharing your recommendations. I'm sure the listeners will get value out of them either now or when the time is right. Yep. Sounds great. Sounds great.